to your bright faces. Can't see the smile, but that's okay. We can deal with that one. I know I'm just going to have faith that you're smiling under your masks. <laughs> Amen. Awesome. Who's had a really good week? Yeah, that's good. Who's had a mediocre week? Yeah, who's had a pretty rough week? Let's be honest. It's all right. We're all in family together. Okay. Because you know, when you have a rough week and you can be honest about it and the people in the church can come around, your brothers and sisters, and encourage you and pray. And that's sort of what Pastor Michael was leading us in this morning as, as they led us in a song. Pastor Michael was like, go and pray for someone and see how they're going. And, and I was really blessed as Joanne said that she wanted to pray for me. We had the same issue going on, which was really interesting that God would lead us together in that moment. I, I think God is doing some amazing things in this time. If we would sit at his feet and listen like the opportunity we had last week when pastor micah led us so well in talking about distractions amen i thought that was really really good anyway it's great to have everyone here and and uh it's great to have you online watching from home as well uh you might have seen a video th- during the week where i sort of said i was working on a bit of a new series uh hopefully to help us navigate some of the stuff that's going on in our world at the moment uh, in the sense of our locality. So this new series is called Church Transformation. Uh, it's not unique in any way. It's probably one of the most simplest messages that we could talk about uh, in the context of church life. Uh, but I believe it will be an encouragement to us. Uh, and as we begin, I want to honour uh, someone that many of you might not know. Uh, he was the senior leader of City Life Church down in Melbourne, which is a good, strong Pentecostal movement in Melbourne. Uh, Mark Connor, Pastor Mark Connor down there, he wrote a book back in 2005 or 6 called um, uh, Transforming Your Church and uh, I bought that at conference and the Lord said don't read it, so I didn't read it, <laughs> it was one of those interesting things, I'll, more on that next, next week a little bit anyway but uh, I feel that uh, I just want to honour him because much of the context of what we're going to use in this next three weeks comes from this book so like I said it's in any way no, not unique but uh, much of what, what I'm going to talk about comes from this book as I've taken it back to scripture and, and challenged myself and my own context in this area. Um, so over the last month, I've had to personally reevaluate some of the things uh, and, uh, and I, I've really thanked God for that. I've really taken time to press in and, and trust that God is able to talk to us through the scriptures and... Uh, and I've just taken that time, and I would hope and pray that many of us have done the same. Uh, just really just pressing into that quiet time with the Lord, spending some time in prayer, and just seeing what the, the scriptures are reflecting, even in the busyness of what life has brought up uh, in this time. Uh, as I've done, I've made some conclusions um, that have been revealed throughout this pandemic, and much has shifted in the mindset of people in our lives. And uh, even our own mindsets in some sense. Some people are approaching church very differently. Did you know that? That's not wrong. It's just where we're at. And we have to think about what that looks like for us and looks like for each person as an individual. But the challenge still remains that we're not individual members, amen? That we all belong to God and Jesus is the head. And that's some of the stuff that I want to talk about as we get into this. Ultimately, I believe Jesus is leading us through a, what can be sensed by many as a difficult time. But if we turn our attention to him, 
And as Pastor Micah said last week, we remove our, ourselves from many of the distractions that are constantly haranguing us. Together we can get through. Together we can bring hope to our city and to the many called by Christ to be a part of his kingdom and his church here on earth. Do I believe this series is really critical now? It, what it does is it takes, takes our focus from the things that we're hearing on the news or the things that we're hearing from one another or the things that we're reading on social media. And what it does is it says, well, just, just leave them aside for the moment. Draw into God because God's got a message in this time. And if we draw into God, what happens is the instant and, and ultimate result is we become unified because we realize that God has done something miraculous and amazing. And uh, when we focus our attention on those things, the result and the fruit of that is, is, is really unification. It's really important. So last week, and see if this is going to work for me. Last weekend, um, we had a, a number of leaders gather together here at, on the Saturday. And while we were here and we had a bit of time of prayer, uh, the Lord, I believe, gave me this picture. And uh, it's, the, it's the best picture I could find online. Obviously, I've never been a part of something as devastating as a tsunami. But let me, let me just help, help us unpack this picture a little bit because I feel that's going to be a bit of an encouragement for many who are sitting here. In a nutshell, what I saw was a beach where the water was receding out. Do you know prior to the, the wave coming, the water has to retract it has to recede and it goes back a really long way so what i saw was this this beach that was empty of water and i'm like what's that lord uh, this is not normal it was going back and back and back what we saw around was panic movement and even people stuck in the sand while i saw others distracted by many things and missing the water drawing back you can think of it I sort of people sitting on their banana chair and they've got their head in their Instagram and they don't even see the waters coming back. And, and then all of a sudden they hear the, the siren of the, the tsunami siren warning that goes off. The distraction kept them from moving. Um, distractions, people that are absent, relationship issues. No, I'll go back a little bit further, sorry. I saw others distracted by many things and missing the water drawing back. This can be our natural response to what we see is happening in church life as an enemy sows discord. We see distraction, people that are absent, relationship issues between many brothers and sisters in Christ and even differing opinions. This was, this was unfolding as the Lord was giving me this picture last week. It seems that there is many negatives to the water drawing back. Yet what I saw was as the water receded, that the next step was a wave. And what I heard was a tsunami of revival. I believe the Holy Spirit will launch a new wave of revival anointing, one the world has not seen before. And this period is a period that is for us as a local church as much as it is for the global church. His church, to all get on the same page, Unified in purpose to ride the wave of his glory. And the challenge for me as, as a leader, the challenge for us as leaders in God's church and, and as people who are unified as one body, the challenge for us is not just to say that's a good picture, 
but in fact apply our faith to it. And what does that mean? Well, faith is action, right? Faith means that I'm not just going to say, well, that's a good word, I'm going to stick it on the shelf and wait for God to, to draw out revival from me, but it's to put our faith toward it, to pray into it, to believe that God wants to use us, to unite behind the purposes and the cause of the church, and believe not only that things are going to stay the same, but things are going to be transformed in a way that the world will know that God is God and he sits on the throne. And ultimately what comes, when we take it all the way back, that the world will know Jesus by our love one for another. And that's applying our faith. That was the picture that I kind of had last week. And I'm praying into that, believing that we as a local body will understand that for our locality as much as every other local church has to understand that for themselves. Does that make sense? Is it, Or is it a little bit wafty for you? Do you ever ponder on what God's doing? I don't know. What's God doing? What's he up to? What's he doing in this moment? What's his focus on? Could you imagine if God's desk was as messy as your desk? I've got a really messy desk. It's pretty easy for me to write that, right? Some of you have probably got a phenomenal desk. It's really tidy and you can come and help me organize mine. But in the end, I have to think, what if God's desk was even messier than mine because he's up to so much more than what I can ever think or imagine? What does an eternal father do all day and night when he never sleeps or slumbers? What, does, what is God focusing on? What is he up to? Have you ever thought of that question? I think it's something to ponder on. The reality is this. God has one prominent focus, and it's not you. Oh, what? I'm not the center of God's focus. I'm not the apple of his eye. Yes, absolutely you are, but you're not his primary focus. He has one necessary project, one major project that takes all of his attention. You know what that project is? Scripture reveals that this core project through the, is through his word, through the words of Jesus himself. In Matthew 16, Jesus asks his disciples who they think he is. To which Simon answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What an answer. What an answer that is. As, as Jesus begins to ask, who do you think I am? What do you think I'm up to? Peter straight out says, you are the Christ. Obviously, he was under inspiration. And Jesus' response to this is this. And also I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give, the keys, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The church to God is not some side issue or something that God is doing to amuse himself until the world ends. The reality is the church of God is at the very heart, the core of who he is. It's the season that we're in, yes. It's the time frame of history that we're in, absolutely. But Jesus himself says, I will build what? My church. If I'm building something, most of my focus is going to that. Yeah? So when we think about God and we think about the purposes of Jesus, 
and the expansion of the kingdom of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to come to this conclusion that God is building his church. And in fact, that's his major focus. It just so happens that you and I form the very essence of that focus. But what happens is when we start to feel like things are coming against us and we start to feel like uh, we don't know what our purpose is and when we start to realize that there's just things going around us that we can't even control or understand, we start to think inwardly and we feel like it's all about us. And the reality is, every one of us are important to God. God is aware of the rise and falls of government. You know that? God is aware of the state of the economy. God is aware how the environment is. God is understanding how the share market works so much better than any of us in this room. He understands the evil in this world better than you or I can. The pandemic that we're going through and even he understands that you and I need a car park when we're driving down Banner Avenue. And while he does care for these things, his focus and attention is on one thing, the church of Jesus Christ. The church is on the top of his to-do list and the very center of the conversation in the throne room of heaven. Ephesians 3 says this, Bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. Look at the mystery. Mystery. Who created all things so that through... Everyone say that there for me. The church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Where? Heavenly places. The manifold wisdom of God might be made now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's the enemy that stands against us, people. This was according to the eternal purposes that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Isn't that an amazing scripture? Doesn't that pull into context exactly what God was planning from the beginning of time? That while he would send Jesus to deal with our sins and to set us apart and to bring us as sons and daughters into his family, that he would choose something that was unique to appropriate his power and authority into the future. I think that's awesome to understand that God was planning this from day one. Paul understood this. The church has been central to God's entire purpose since the beginning of time. Most who respond to his calling to ministry, they understand it. Not those who uh, choose ministry as a career path, but those who hear and surrender their life to God in all manner and facets. It's our responsibility as individual ministers of, in the church, that's all of us, to communicate it so that his saints can be equipped and built up to expand the kingdom and influence of his influence through God's master project, which is his church. Amen. So let's talk about church for a minute. To understand church, we kind of have to understand what church is not first. And to do so, we've got to understand these three things. Praise God, church is not a building. <laughs> 
God, God is, he might be glorified in the ancient architecture of a cathedral. And he might be magnified in some of the amazing, splendid buildings that are built today. That might be the heart of humanity, but it's not the heart of God to be kept in a building. That was the Old Testament, the temple. And how magnificent was the temple in its time? Yep. So praise God, it's not in a building. Secondly, it's not in a denomination. Wow. It's not the Catholics, it's not the Baptists, it's not the Pentecostals. You know, even though it'd be awesome and wonderful if everyone decided this week when we do our census to pick other in that box and write Pentecostal in there because that will help us in our society. But honestly, God's not interested in the denominations. He's not interested in our squabbling and fighting over what is right and what is wrong. Is he? Whether we belong to the one true church or not, whether or not it's a big C Catholic or a little C Catholic, God, God's, God's not interested in those things. He's not interested in if we take communion out of a cup and we tear off a piece of bread or if we're taking it at the moment, fiddling around with bits of plastic and making it hard to, you know, eating foul wafers and over-the-top extreme flavoured grape juice. Like, he's not interested in those things, right? But he's interested in his church. The third thing, the church is not a culture or a race. The, the, the church is not Australia. Praise God. It, it's not the Cook Islands. Not England. Not the Jewish nation. All right? It's not the indigenous locals of whatever nation you belong to. The church is not any of these three, three things. And I could add more to that, but that's not the church. And if we understand... If we get caught up in any of these three things, what happens is we're starting to listen to false prophets. Yeah? If you hear someone starting to say, the church is about this and this building and that denomination and rah, 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 all of a sudden, you can really quickly say, well, that's not what God's about. While those things benefit us and those things help us belong to an understanding of family or something, or, or in a sense... We, we've got to understand my old culture is gone. My new culture has come, which is kingdom culture. God's not about those things. He, he's about something so much greater. We find the definition from the Greek culture at the time of Jesus, which is this word in, that is a Greek word called ecclesia, which means simply a group of people pulled out of their homes to gather together for an important meeting in the city. I want to focus on that for two seconds. Where are they called out from? Their homes. Right. Their homes. Called out of their homes. To do what? To gather together. For what? Where? All right. So we can make that in the village, or we can make it, say, in the town, or you can make it, say, in the metropolitan area. We understand in the local situation that you are called, okay? So the church is people called out of where? Their homes to do what? Together. What does that mean? Unite? For what? Oh, is church important? Why? Because it's found in the understanding of what the apostles understood of their day when they started to use the term ecclesia to help the church understand that, number one, 
It's not in our home, even though we can do church in our home. We can take communion in our home. We can have friends over and, and, and have unity and vision and purpose and prayer in our home. But it's not what church is. Make sense? Church is a, we are called out of our homes to gather together for what? Who wants to miss an important meeting? I don't want to miss an important meeting. There's something that could be said that I, I would miss and, and all of a sudden I would not be on the same page as the people who I felt were important. But simply put, the church is God's people assembled together to meet with God and accomplish his purposes. Because it's in the important meeting that you understand that there's things that God uses, terms that help us put strategy around the purpose of expanding the kingdom of God. We see that all the way through the book of Acts at every turn and every twist that comes throughout the book of Acts, what we see is God leading his church to do one purpose, share the gospel with those who don't know it. That they can come to know who? Jesus Christ. This is important and when something's important we have to see it as priority. Is that true? My family is important to me. Is it not? Are they my priority? Absolutely. Now, as this is my, not only my employment, it's also my calling, seeing the church unified is important to me, therefore it becomes priority. Does it make sense? And the church, again, is not a building, not a denomination, it's not a culture, it is people. Amen? So we've got to understand that, and it helps us that when we apply the meaning of church ecclesia spiritually, it's God's people from every nation called out of the, uh, of, for the king, uh, called out of the kingdom of darkness and translated through the new birth into the kingdom of God. Simply, the church, as it says up there, is very simple to understand. There's, there's only one true church around the globe. That's Jesus's church. It is made up of every person who has been truly born again through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, regardless of race, gender, social status, or denomination. This one true church is made up of many local churches called to bring an expression of the kingdom of God in their locality, gathering together to worship Jesus, love one another, and reach their community for Christ. Can everyone say that with me? Worship Jesus love one another and reach their location for Christ. Let's put it in a simple word, reach their community for Christ. That's the church in a nutshell. We are loved by God, we are called to love one another and we're called to share the gospel. That means that we talk about Jesus, that we love like Jesus, that we help like Jesus, we show kindness like Jesus, we accept people where they're at to lead them into an encounter with Jesus. That's the good news, right? The good news is this, that God so loved the world that he would send his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, because you and I were separated from God. You and I were cut off from God in our sin. And that wasn't good enough to God. That wasn't good enough. So he would come and he would lay down his life. He would bear himself upon a cross. And he would take my sin upon himself. 
a holy and a righteous man set apart to do God's purpose, set apart because he did not sin, and yet he chose to take my sin upon him and your sin upon him, upon his shoulders, and to die and to take his, my punishment upon him. How good is the good news when you understand that because he did that for us in the life that he now lives, I live with his holiness and his righteousness and his acceptance and his calling and his purpose and his ability to love. How much greater is that for us to understand? That's good news. And when I focus on the good news and I allow the good news to change my heart, all of a sudden it's not about this creed or it's not about that denomination. It's not about where this brick is or that rose garden with with sister so-and-so's name on it or that chair with a plaque on it that says this was donated by. What it's about is God and his purposes and we find that in community. and We find that in a place where he says, love one another. Just as I have loved you, love one another. Like, that's not an option. That's a command. To love each other. To love everything about me. My my bad behaviors, my bad habits, sometimes even my bad language, not as I swearing, but just because I don't speak real well. Love my smell, my stink, even if I stink. Love everything about me because in the end, I've got to love everything about you. Love is not about changing one another. Love is about empowering each other to be the best who we are, of who we're called to be. And I can fix the smell, I can put on a, a cologne, I can, I can fix my language, I can study and I can learn. But I can't fix the thing that you see in me that Jesus put there unless you value it, unless I value it in you, unless I call that out, unless I empower you and equip you to be the people that God's called you to be. Does that make sense? That's the church. And we've got to guard ourselves from tearing one another apart. I want to leave us with these three thoughts this morning. About 13 minutes. Leave us with these thoughts. What is the church? What are the three pictures that are going to help us understand how Jesus sees his church? And when we understand this is how God looks at us, then it becomes a value point for us. If God's purpose is about his church, and his number one focus is about building his church so that it would reveal Jesus to the world. And it's a high priority that how we act and behave amongst ourselves would reflect what he's calling. Amen? These are three things that I, I feel will help us. Number one, Paul tells us that the church will be incredibly glorious and radiant, like a bride prepared for her groom on their wedding day. I wanted to get away from the, the uh, Western concept of the bride in white, right? So I found this beautiful woman dressed ready for what I would only assume is her wedding day. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her with the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and 
without blemish. Sorry that that cut it off there. Holy and without blemish. Faith in Christ's sacrifice means that intimacy between God's creation and God himself is restored. Those walks in the cool of the evening that Adam and Eve got to enjoy back in the Garden of Eden is what I'm talking about. That walking with God and talking with God and Him understanding the, the challenges of the day and the joys of the day and, and that sense of just knowing that God is my Father and I can walk with Him and He walks with me. That intimacy was restored through Jesus. Because our sin was forgiven. It was through Christ's atonement that we are presented to God with the purity of a virgin on her wedding day. Collectively. God is at work on his church by the Holy Spirit to help her realize that she is pure and glorious and without spot and wrinkle. Would anyone ever dare to go up to a bride and say, ew, what is that on your face? That's a brave man or woman if I hadn't seen one, right? No, when a, when a bride is prepared for her groom, the people that are around her, what are they doing? They're making sure she looks wonderful. They're making sure she looks fabulous. They're making sure that she's got her water and that she's not hungry and that she's getting helped into the toilet when she can't even take her dress off. That's what the ladies attending her are doing. They're serving her. And yet, how many of us would point fingers at a church and pick on the ugly things instead of fixing them? The Bible declares that the church is a glorious bride. I'm not saying that we are God's bride or we're Jesus' bride. It's an analogy. It's a picture for us to help us understand that God has done a work in us that is so miraculous that when he looks at us, he looks at us perfect, perfected, holy, righteous, redeemed, spotless, unblemished, beautifully adorned for him. If God says it, who am I to say anything against that? What is true from the position of the individual, that I'm holy and righteous and redeemed and accepted in the beloved, all of that stuff that we find and we pull out of Ephesians and, and Colossians and all of that stuff that we appropriate to ourselves was first written to a church body before it was written to you and to I. So when God looks at you, he looks upon the body that you're connected with and he says that you are righteous. We cannot work our way to glory. Everyone knows that truth. It's just done in Jesus. And, and I've got to challenge people here because we've got to stop saying that Jesus is waiting on us to get our act together before he comes back. I hear it all too often because this is simply untrue. 
the only thing Jesus is waiting on is for the full number of his church to be in. How gracious is our God that he's waited for us these 2,000 years so that we can be accepted in the beloved, we be a part of his church and we can stand before him in his glory on that day. That's a gracious God. Thankfully, he's patient that the full number is still to come in. And this is the picture of the wave that is to come because there's, a, there's an eternal glory yet to be encountered as the church understands who she is so that she can present to a world a unified front, a beautiful bride adorned for her, her, her groom, and they can stand up as individual local churches declaring Jesus. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? The devil has got us so fighting amongst each other that we miss the simple truth that this was God's work all along. And I can't be... No, I can't even say that. I can't be tearing down one another when we are being adorned by Jesus himself. The purpose of the Holy Spirit in our life. Stop focusing on the secondary... which is what I must do to be glorious, or that that offense caused by another, I can't let go. We need to settle the issues the same way God settled the debt, which was to see it nailed to a cross. As we settle the issue, we'll be ready to reveal the gloriousness of the church of Jesus with others who do not yet know. If you're embarrassed to talk about Jesus, if you, if you can't naturally share of what he has done in your life, then I'd have to challenge us about our criticalness toward firstly his bride. And if we can get that issue dealt with, and we can understand that we're all in this together, and we can unite together for the purposes of Jesus, I tell you the truth, it will naturally come out of you, your love for your fellow human beings. The enemy has us caught up in distraction and it's distraction against the glorious church. The second one is this. Do you remember what Jesus prayed before going to the cross? Last week, Pastor Jamie did. He shared from John chapter 17 as he opened up our service. Jesus died for a church that he couldn't see in the physical. A church that he believed would reveal him. It was a prophetic act that has been unfolding now for this 2,000 some odd years. Jesus was separated from God so that we never had to be. He was cut off from his people so that we would never have to be. He died so that the church could thrive. So how does the church thrive? It thrives in unity. Jesus had a picture not only of a glorious church, he had a picture of a united church. This was his prayer. I do not ask for these only, that's the disciples that were with him, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Raise your hand if you believe in Jesus. And because someone shared the word of God with you and you said, yes, I believe that. And you thank God. 
and you repented of your old ways and you positioned yourself in a place where you could not only believe in faith, but you could receive salvation. Well, then this word, Jesus is praying for you. And he says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know, this is the purpose, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. There's no church without unity. No church without Jesus. There's no church without God. There's no church without you. That's what Jesus is praying. And when we unite in purpose, we understand what the church is. The result of unity is seen in this passage, that the world may know. And sadly, all the world sees is a divided church. Just look at the news and see the way that they talk about the church and how they're trying to tear this leader down or that pastor down or this person down. Or, like, it, it, it's, it's hideous. God does not want division, but unity of spirit and unity of faith. You can have unity of spirit and unity of faith and keep unity in diversity. Do you know that? Unity is not about that you have to agree with me or I have to agree with you. It's about respecting one another and understanding that God is leading us all. And we might be at different stages and we might be understanding different things, but it's okay to be unified in diversity. Ephesians 4.3 says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Who's eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit? Well, that's a call to the church. Ephesians 4.13, 10 verses later, it says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Jesus doesn't only want a unified church. He doesn't only want a glorified church. He wants a mature church. Full statute. Could you imagine a body, the way it would look if half of it matured and half of it didn't? What an ugly picture that is. Could you imagine just splitting this body down the center and one side being like a child and the other side being like an 80-year-old man? What an ugly picture that is. That's not the picture Jesus has for his church. He has for his church a unified body that each one is necessary in seeing his purposes outwork. Each one necessary. And you can go to those scriptures in Corinthians where it talks about those places of dishonor receive more honor. It's an amazing picture when you look at it. The last thing is this. Jesus seen a victorious church. We've got a, a beautiful, glorious church, a united church, but Jesus wants a victorious church. Who doesn't like victory? We had a victory this week, just a small one. I had a victory five, just a bit over five months ago. I put some paperwork in for a development application and this week it came through. I think that's an exciting victory, right? And you've got to celebrate these victories, right? But we have victories not just in, 
in our daily uh, activities, we have victory in the spirit realm. We have victories as we come together and we overcome sickness and darkness and, and, and disunity and we come together for the important meeting that is the church. I love a good victory. Jesus said this in Matthew 16 and 18. Where we started, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. One translation says hell, one says Hades. It doesn't really matter for this kind of picture. The gates of hell, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I find this is an interesting picture. The very gates of hell will not prevail. Jesus empowered his church from its inception to be able to overcome the very gates of hell. Each community has at least one, if not many, gates of hell issues. This is why Jesus plants his church in all communities. Because it's the answer to the gates of hell. You might get scared of that kind of thing. You might get scared that if the gates of hell open, you might have bought into this kind of concept that, that, that all hell and its fury will pour out and we will be consumed. Well, no. Because that concept was defeated the day that the cross happened. As Pastor Rodney shared out of Colossians 2 this morning, he led them captive, triumphing over them. Like, that's a parade of triumph. And how is he doing this even now, even in this day? By planting relevant, glorious, united, victorious churches, not on the opposite side of the city, in fact, in the middle of the city where the gates of hell really are. Push back is what God sees. Victorious, not in our works, but in his. Standing strong, keeping at bay the very things that are against us. Jesus plants us next to the gates, not hidden from it. Don't let the distractions consume you. Together we can overcome. Lay down your pride and surrender to God's change agent for this society. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Don't stay home any longer. Get to church. Get to prayer meetings. Get to grow groups. Why? Because we find unity and maturity and glorious adornment as we come together united and victorious as his church. I was wondering where I might have said this. There are people who are sitting on the sidelines of church, hurt by churches. There are people sitting at home even today who are wondering whether or not they should brave it again to come back into community. There are people who are even sitting in rooms in churches across this nation who are wondering if they should stay or go. Church, we need to encourage ourselves. Christians don't sit on the sideline throwing hand grenades in trying to blow up God's church. Christians understand the love that he has for them, the victory that he has won for them, the capacity of unification that he has so gloriously won. And they get in and they roll up their sleeves and they work to unity and they work for love. Those are the most powerful change agents we have. If we cannot be unified upon the gospel, 
and we cannot love each other for the differences that we bring, then the church will never experience a tsunami wave. All it will ever do is experience hand grenade explosion after fire after fire. And that's not the glorious church that Jesus called. You don't see me walking around slapping my face. Jesus is the head. I would never slap the head of the church. But every time I attack the body or someone attacks the body, I'm slapping Jesus in the face. That's not unity and it's not love. And God died for a glorified, united and victorious church. Amen? We are called to be a part of his purpose. These are my closing verses. You may stand to your feet as I read these over you this morning. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Church, you are called according to the purposes of God. Let the distractions that are surrounding you at the moment, let them go. In fact, cast your cares upon Jesus. Give them to him. Trust that he will outwork them in your life for the purposes of the church. Trust him. Second Titus, uh, sorry, Second Timothy, my bad, 1, 8 to 9. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to be a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. We've got to choose to share in suffering. There are brothers and sisters in this church and in our community who are suffering. We've got to come around them and empower them and say, at the moment you might be weak, but together we can overcome. Pray with them, support them, help them. That's the church. And it's in that picture by our love the world will see him glorious church unified church and a victorious church let me pray for you lord jesus we thank you for the picture of the church and we thank you for what you are doing that you are helping us to lay down our distractions and casting our anxieties upon you the things that we're going through that are personal to us that are challenges and trials even the seeds of the enemy that are trying to take our focus father i pray that you would deal with them in this moment as my prayer was this morning lord that people would walk in this place and the fears and the concerns of the week past would be left at the gate father today as your church help us to choose not to take them on again Help us to choose to leave them in your care because we know that you are a God who cares for our situation. And help us, Lord, to be a community that empowers one another to overcome in Christ, to love each other and to outwalk the victory you so amazingly won. For the sake of our community, Lord, Bind us together in the bond of peace 
in love of your spirit. We thank you for Jesus today. And we thank you for your blessing that you're pouring out on us. In God's name, in the name of Jesus, we all say, Amen.